Good evening. If you guys have your Bibles, would you turn to Psalm 1? As we continue in our teaching series that we've been in, uh, called How to Read the Bible, Navigating the Library of Scripture. Though we are in a new time and new place, we are by no means changing up what has been our rhythm over this fall. And so after the past couple of weeks of making our way through what the Bible is, um, we're really diving in now to a more in-depth look at how to read it. Um, And so if you think about where we've been so far, we've been looking at kind of these big ideas of what is the Bible, all the while landing in how do we read it this way. But we're really directly over the next couple of weeks getting into how uh, to read it. Uh, Opening quote. Uh, just to kind of pique your mind on why this series comes from Eugene Peterson in his book, Eat This Book, where he writes, the Christian community is just as concerned with how we read the Bible as that we read it. It is not sufficient to place a Bible in someone's hand with the command, read it. That is quite as foolish as putting a, a set of car keys in a teenager's hands, giving him a Honda and saying, drive it. And it is just as dangerous. The danger is that in having our hands on a piece of technology, whether that's a Honda Accord or the scriptures, we will use it ignorantly, endangering our lives and those who uh, are around us, the lives of those around us. So just to kind of rest in this quote for a moment and why this series is another reminder, the scriptures can be mishandled. Though we believe and though they are the divine and human word of God, just it's not enough to say, here's the Bible, read it. We need to be guided in how in the same way that uh, you wouldn't just give keys to a Honda to a teenager. You would, you would train them and raise them in how to read that. And, and the damage that gets brought about by just a, that kind of here's the Bible, read it. You just, you just think through some of the things that uh, have been existing within the evangelical kind of Christian world over the past you know, couple of decades. The purity culture of the 90s and the early aughts. And even right now, so much of the movement of, you know, deconstruction is this like seven-headed hydra now that means a hundred different things. But many forms of deconstruction today are largely based out of this kind of way of, that was, of reading the Bible that was given to us. And so what we're rad, more deconstructing is not the scriptures, but just the fact that we were given a car and said, drive it. And so the hope with this series has been that like these kind of, you know, weeks in how to read the Bible have been like driver's ed in the Bible, and so if you, if you went, hopefully all of us went through driver's ed that drove here. Um, but when, when you went through driver's ed, you either had a pamphlet that you had to read through and like memorize, or you had a class that you went to. And the hope has been that these teachings and even our how not to read the Bible book club has been like that little pamphlet or that class that you go to on Saturday mornings and your parents are mad that they have to take you to. And then the hope has been that our discipleship groups and those practices of this week have been like, you know, where mom sits in the car and you drive around and, and figure it out. Kind of that, that step of learning how to, in your mind, but then putting it into practice. That's been the hope of this series is kind of a driver's ed in the Bible. And so, so far in this series, we've, series, we've examined some of the false paradigms that we have with scripture in that first week, but then we've been chipping away at our working definition of what the Bible is. So once again, to set it before you, repetition, to get it baked into the folds of your mind. The library, the Bible is the library of ancient writings, both divine and human, that tell a unified story leading us to Jesus and forming us as his people. And so over the series so far, we've looked at the Bible as a divine and human word or inspired in the words of Paul. We looked at it as a unified library that's telling a unified story. We looked at it last week in uh, it being in ancient writings, 
Two weeks ago with Ryan McDonald, we looked at those pronouns of us. What does it mean for the Bible to be communal literature? And uh, next week, we're going to be looking at how the scriptures form us as his people, that it's wisdom literature. This week, what I want to dive into and spend some time on is learning how to read the Bible, not just for information, as we've been doing, or formation, what we'll look at next week, but reading the scriptures for the sake of communion. That is that if the Bible is both a human and divine word, that when we read from the scriptures, the divine author, God himself, is meeting us here in the scriptures, open to communion. Like This is a communion opportunity when we read the scriptures. And so today we're going to be looking at how to do just that. As we kind of refocus on, if a couple weeks ago was the three-legged stool that Ryan McDonald talked about, looking at communal and teaching. Today is us kind of going, what, what should a private reading of Scripture look like? That's what we're going to be experimenting in today. So with that being said, you guys have Psalm 1 open in front of you. Would you join me in standing for the reading of the Scriptures today? And so being in a new place, in a new time, and all of the different stories that have brought us here. Before we read, let's, just, let's take a moment of prayer just to settle and open ourselves before the Scriptures. So, Father, we come as your people gathered here, um, believing that you speak when we open the scriptures together. So for some of us that have had a week that's been a blur, for some that have brought um, news of cancer, God, decisions being made about new work and leaving where we've been for some time. We've had relationships falling apart. We've had promotions that have been given. We've had the highs and the lows that are all represented here in this room right now. There is deep communion and relationship and deep loneliness sitting beside one another in this room. So Holy Spirit, we know that it is you, not me. It is you that are able to speak to the invitation for each of us in the places of wherever we may be right now. And so as we read Psalm 1 today, as we meditate on how to meditate on Scripture, Holy Spirit, would you speak? to all the situations that are here. We open our hearts to you. Psalm, chapter one. says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. You may be seated. So here at the opening of the book of Psalms is a poem, a song, a hymn, whatever language you want to use for it, a, medita- a thought, an experiment, a reflection on the simple truth that your focus determines your formation. What you give your attention to shapes you into a particular type of person. Another way to say this is you become what you behold. You are what you worship. 
You are the things that you listen to. Your focus determines your formation. And as it moves forward, not only does your focus determine your formation, your formation, the person you become, cements the future you, the future that you will have. It does this through contrasting these two different ways. The first we could call the way of the chaff, as it's called in verse four, or the way of the wicked. Chaff being a word that none of us use anymore. And so the idea is like a lifeless grass. Chaff, at least for those of us that have like a really fancy burr grinder for our coffee in the morning, we know what chaff is. What is it? It's the na- like that papery leftover stuff that just has no purpose or use other than just getting all over your countertop. Yes and amen? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Or there's those of you that have worked in a coffee shop. Chaff is the, it's the, it's the dead grass is the language. It's the, the dead, just the dried up, not used for anything stuff. The way of the chaff is also called in verse six, it says the way of the wicked, the way that leads to ruin. And this life of languishing, we could call it, this withering existence, this way of decay is, comes to us specifically though in verse one with a warning is that this kind of person didn't happen in a single event. Nobody sat down and decided, I want to go the way of the wicked. Nobody sat down and I want the lifeless life of languishing the way of the wicked. Rather, verse one tells us this happened through a slow process of becoming a slow process of formation. In verse one, as we look at it, it began in this person walking in the advice of the wicked. This is a paying attention to, a focusing on the bad ideas being given in their life. This then motivates, as the poem continues, out from listening to wicked advice to then walking along the pathway with sinners. Listening to bad advice leads to bad actions. Walking and participating in the life of the sinners, and this ends then in them sitting in the seat of scoffers. No longer are they just listening to wicked advice, no longer are they walking with the sinners. Their identity, their character is now one of sitting in the place of the mocker or the scoffer. Do you see the slow progression, the formation that all began with first and foremost where the focus went for the way of the wicked? Verse one, another way to say this is what I've been saying is your focus, the ideas that you hear and you pay attention to form you into a particular kind of person. And that particular kind of person then becomes a future, an identity, an end goal of your very self. And for Psalm one, it is they are, they, they, what is it? They blow away in verse four. They're like chaff, the wind drives off. They are exiled from the assembly of God and, and judgment and ruin is all that awaits them in their future. Another way of saying all of this is what my youth pastor used to tell me. <laughs> show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Silly as it is, here I am, you know, 31, 32, going, whatever I'm going on now. Is, and I'm still remembering, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me the advice that you're getting. The people, this is not like that some kind of don't be friends with anyone who's not a Christian. Show me the advice that you're regularly opening yourself up to and I will show you the formation that you're undergoing and the future that you're headed towards. We are who we listen to. We become like the people we place ourselves around. You are the podcasts that you like listen to every episode. You are the shows that you watch, the music that you listen to, the books that you read, the news feeds that you scroll. All of these are contributing modes of focus that are forming you in a particular kind of person. As the old saying goes, sow a thought and reap a deed. 
Sow a deed and reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Your focus determines your formation and that cements your future. In contrast to the way of the chaff is in verse three, the way of the tree or the way of the righteous person. This is the sort of person who has undergone a formation into a flourishing, thriving and fruitful person who in their future stands in the judgment, belongs in the assembly. And even more than that, at the end of verse six, the Lord has a personal presence, a watching, attentive eye on this kind of person. Like something from an Aronofsky film, like, right, The, uh, the Fountain. Any of you watch, remember that weird one, right? Okay, it's so good. The whole, the whole idea here is the beginning of the story opens with this tree of life that humans are tasked and invited to eat from this tree of life, to eat from the life of God. And Genesis 1 becomes the reflection of Psalm 1, where Psalm 1 envisions someone who not just eats from the tree of life, but becomes one. Through a life of focusing on, as we'll get to in a moment, the law or the advice, the instruction of the Lord doesn't just eat from the tree of life. They become a tree of life, offering their fruit to the world. And so the question is, how do I become formed in this tree of life person? In verse two, like I just said a moment ago, their focus, their delight, their day and night meditation is on the Lord's instruction. Their focus is not on the advice of the wicked around them, but on the instruction, the law, the word of the Lord. This, the word of God is likened to the flowing streams of water that feed their roots. You want to be a happy tree people? Then the scriptures are the main task in feeding that. The formation and future of happiness or blessing, of fruitfulness or flourishing comes out of a lifelong day and night meditation on the scriptures, a delightful meditation. So to move into the second thing now here that we're considering today is when I say meditation, most of us pick up or at least we just add what I'm talking about right now to the like ongoing torrent of content around mindfulness and meditation that we all go through. You do not need to walk into very many bookstores. You can walk into one and you will find a whole section normally towards the front on just this topic. If you open up your, your uh, app store, most of the things that are going to be recommended to you are going to be around mindfulness and meditation, headspace for the win. If you continue through into your podcast catcher, like your social media, wherever you go, you are going to find content and information on mindfulness or meditation. But lest you think that what I'm trying to get at today is just like trying to make Jesus cool again in like the age of headspace, uh, John Mark Comer from the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry writes, The way the story is usually told, mindfulness is a derivative of Buddhism updated by secular psychotherapeutic technique. But there's a solid case. It's more Jesus than Buddha, more Sermon on the Mount than Siddhartha, more St. Teresa of Avila than Thich Thought Han. But of course, our post-Christian culture is a reaction against Christianity. So Buddhism is in, which works well since it's essentially a religion without God, and Jesus is out. He continues, okay, sure, but followers of Jesus have been doing all of this for thousands of years. We've just called it prayer or meditation or contemplation. Psalm 1, in its language, its invitation to a life of meditation on Scripture is an invitation to a mindfulness, quite literally, a mind that is full. 
but a mind that is full in Psalm 1 on the instruction, on the life, the teaching of God. It is not enough in the Psalm 1 view of meditation to empty yourself, but to be filled with something from outside of yourself. And that something is the scriptures. It is the life of God and the Holy Spirit. And the word of what this looks like, the word meditation here in English and Hebrew is the Hebrew word Hagah. Can you all say Hagah? Haga, not haha. As all week long, my like text like thought it was a typo, so I have like multiple times in my notes here right now that still say haha. So if I say haha, I'm saying haga. Haga is the Hebrew word. It's used throughout those scriptures. And what's interesting about the word haga is that most of its use is not for humans. It's for animals. The biggest use being for doves. It's the Hebrew word for what happens when what Prince called crying when doves cry. When they coo, when they moan, the Hebrew like world, they would look at that little animal over there making that little sound to itself and going, ah, Hagah. The word is used in my favorite example in Isaiah chapter 31 to describe a lion that's taken down a lamb and it's got itself over its prey, you know, the, the, the pictures of like nature's metal, the Instagram account, covered in blood, eating from it. And as it's eating, it makes this guttural, like, growling, groaning sound. The Hebrew mindset, they would look at that and say, it's Haga'in. And so when we come back to Psalm 1 and its use here, it seems as though the happy human is the one who day and night Haga's over the scriptures. Not the little dove in the nest or the lion over its prey. The happy human is the one who with the Bible open in front of them is muttering, reading it out loud to themselves quietly. This is the portrait of the happy, blessed human in Psalm 1. They are the person who chews on, and as they go about their day, is still muttering to, thinking to themselves, mulling over and meditating, chewing on God's word. And so the Bible was, here we have in Psalm 1, this this portrait, this reminder that the Bible was written by literary geniuses for this purpose. Literary geniuses inspired by the Spirit of God to be read and understood this way. That the Bible will not give you all it has to give you in your first or even your 50th reading. But it's a lifetime of day and night chewing, haggaying that will give you the formation that this book is after. It is a slow call to scripture as opposed to a fast reading over it. Now, the two-part obstacle that we have to in interacting with the scriptures this way is first and foremost that all of us in this room are already meditating on something else. And the second thing is that thing that we meditate on increasingly is degrading our ability to come back to the text and meditate on it in the way that Psalm 1 talks about. What am I talking about? 77% of young people say yes to the statement, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is what? I reach for my phone. We are, the problem with our generation is not that we don't meditate. The problem is that we are so often meditating on the wrong sorts of things. The meditation of our hearts, the thing that we mutter and read to ourselves, rather than the instruction of the Lord is our news feeds. It is your Twitter timeline. It is your TikTok. That is where does your attention go when you have nothing holding your attention immediately? That's what you're meditating on. To paraphrase Corey Ten Boom, what she said was that if the devil can't make you wicked, he'll make you distracted. To read over Psalm 1 again within that framework is how happy is the one, not that doesn't walk in the advice of the, the wicked, but walks in the constant plethora of distractions. 
How happy is the one who doesn't stand in the pathway of the people who are not present, but always giving their attention to something somewhere else. To the person who doesn't sit in the company of the person with the phone glued to their face when they're out to dinner with others. But the person who, where where does their attention go? Where is their mind when they have nothing else occupying? It goes to the instruction of the Lord. I think with most of the people within our church, my main concern is not your focus becoming formed to be a future of wickedness, but distraction. And I think that's predominantly the primary, to go back to Corey Ten Boom's quote, emphasis in our age is to form us into a people, not who may not be wicked, but are useless in the kingdom because we're distracted. And so... For most of us, the current meditation, the chaff that we have is not the chaff of wickedness, but the things that literally blow away the content of your timeline that is bringing about your focus and forming you into a person in its own image. Because again, we become like what we behold. And so if you feel like you have a hard time being attentive to the deep needs around you and you give most of your time to seven second or whatever, like timelines of TikTok, why are you surprised? If we find ourselves being a fearful person and yet most of our attention regularly goes to doom scrolling, why are we surprised? What we need is an unhurried meditation over the deepest truths of reality, which are the presence of who God is and what he's up to in this world. And the problem is, one, not that we're already meditating on these things, but as we allow the world of the you know, internet age to become our primary meditation and not just keeps us away from meditating on the scriptures, it shapes our minds away from being able to ever do it. Nicholas Carr in his Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Shallows, writes, what the internet seems to be doing is chipping away at my capacity for concentration and contemplation. Whether I'm alone or not, my mind now expects to take in information the way the internet distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. I love this line. Once I was a scuba diver in a sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. If the Psalm 1 happy, haggaiing, tree of life person slowly is reading and meditating, chewing day and night, we need to be really aware of being shaped into jet ski people rather than scuba divers in any given text. And I love that he opens with this idea, that chipping away at contemplation or concentration. Another way to say that is this internet age seems to be chipping away at my ability for meditation. As one author puts it, in our tender world, we struggle to give the monogamy of our attention to anything. As Eugene Peterson writes, I'm just laying up here, in 1987, ladies and gentlemen, when we read more books, look at more pictures, listen to more music than we can possibly absorb, the result of such gluttony is not a cultured mind, but a consuming one. What it reads, looks at, listens to is immediately forgotten, leaving no more traces behind it than yesterday's newspaper. I would argue this is what most of our experience is with the Bible. As we go through, you cannot tell me all of the TikToks that you watched last night or the tweets that you scrolled through or whatever on your Facebook. Why? Because the way the internet works is quickly moving stream of particles that are not looking for a deep formation, like focused meditation and application of the information, but a stream. And the problem is, therefore, why when you try to read the scriptures, why it doesn't feel like it sticks with you. Your mind has been shaped to not be able to to interact with any kind of text that way. And so we need to be really, really aware of this. Again, as one study found, 
If you're in the same room with your phone, even with it turned off, it reduces your working memory and your problem solving. Why? Because you've offloaded your mental, deep, critical thinking capacities and memory recall to Google. And the danger of this is that we now have the attention span lower than goldfish. 20 years ago, it was 12 seconds. We're down to eight. That was before TikTok when they took that last study. Goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. As Microsoft researcher Linda Stone wrote, we live in an age of continuous partial attention. Or, as Ronald Rollheiser wrote, we are in danger of distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. If someone is inviting us to experience the Bible like a deep sea diver, in order for us to experience it the way that it's inviting us to, it will require us to retrain our jet ski brains. And that is the last time you'll ever hear me use jet ski in the negative sense. It will require us to cultivate focus. So this is obviously, you can probably see, even within me, something that I think a lot about. And so this is a whole other conversation. I'm going to give two quick practical things just to begin to step into this. The first is I would recommend that most of us begin to start reading the Bible again with a physical Bible. And this is not to be like a cool, like, you know, like your grandma, like the zip up, you know, you've got the zipper or whatever. This is rooted in what Cal Newport, he's uh, a writer on productivity and, and how we do information and study stuff, what he calls context change, context switching, is when I interact with the scriptures on my phone, I by, by default will read it the same way that I read my emails, my texts, and my tweets, scanning for the information that sticks out to me to grab and take or to think about and not really do anything about. The simple nature of leaving that in the other room and staring at a page kickstart something in our brain that we're engaging with the text in a new way. Super simple. That's why we've been giving away physical Bibles and I have two that I'm giving away today. Um, so we're I'm getting wound up. I'm not used to having a cord. And so the first thing just really simple would be, I would encourage you, dig it out, dust it off. When you're going to sit down and, and read the scriptures, do this with a fit, like chain, get your mind into a new set place. That this, what I'm reading right now is something different that I need to read differently than I do Twitter. The second thing, and again, this is a whole probably class we're going to do at some point, but I would invite you just to contemplate a few little steps in the direction of what what could be called digital minimalism. And this is not a call for us to be Amish, but to think intentionally about our attention. And so for some of us, that may look like getting off social media. I am loving it. I am new to the scene and it's awesome. I'm not going to infer that all of you need to do that, but maybe you would take it off of your phone. Maybe you would disable all notifications on your phone except for texts or calls. Maybe you would, you know, some people do the grayscale thing where they keep their phone always in do not disturb or they take their email off of their phone. Whatever it may be, there's all of this stuff that we can get into. But just consider one step of, of retaking back your focus and your attention in this, in, this, in this attention age. Because the reality is you and I live in a moment where if it's true that you and we are formed by our focus, we need to be so wary in the attention economy where the, where the devices and the services that we use that are not the product. Twitter is not the product. Instagram, Snap are not the product. It's your attention that is. And so we need to be wary as we use those, those things that can be used in good ways. We need to be really wary of the way that they're shaping our mind that we might find ourselves having such a hard time coming to the scriptures because the rest of our day we're, we're, we're jet skiing and then we just don't know how to get off. So for the rest of our time, 
Together, what I want to do is try to leave our jet skis behind. I want to give one time-tested scuba suit, right, of, of how to meditate on the scripture, um, practice for the coming week, and then we're going to actually practice the scuba suit together here before we go into the response time. Sound good? Cool. Aaron, can I ask you to give me my water bottle? It's right over there. I had to carry up these giant Bibles. Um, all right, let's talk about meditation on Scripture. The oldest form of meditation on Scripture in the Psalm 1 tradition within the Christian tradition, which we are a part of, high welcome, began to be talked about in the early 300s with Gregory of Nyssa. And it picked up the fancy language of Lectio Divina. So you'll see this behind me. Lectio Divina, all that means is divine or sacred reading. The idea with Lectio Divina is that we are engaging with the text, listening to it with our heart for what God seems to be speaking through the passage. And so believing that this is God's word in this moment, we read slowly and intently, and we take our time here. If Lectio Divina is scary to you right now, like I'm gonna, we're going to be Catholic, this predates Catholicism, okay? So we're just regaining early church history stuff, which you know I'm a big fan of. And so if you, Lectio Divina scares you, just call it a prayerful reading of the Bible, because that's what it is. Prayerful reading of Scripture. As we're reading the Bible slowly and prayerfully, believing that God is speaking to us in the text, pausing and taking deep breaths, and just allowing for the Spirit to prompt us to see something in the text that's for us. Eugene Peterson, after the quote that we opened with, he continues to say, The words of the printed page of the Bible give witness, oh, he's so good, to the living and active revelation of God of creation and salvation. The God of love who became the Word made flesh in Jesus, and I had better not forget it. If in my Bible reading, I lose touch of this livingness of this book, of this word, if I fail to listen to this living Jesus and to respond to this love, oh, am I guilty of this? I can become arrogant in my knowledge of the Bible. Lectio Divina cultivates a personal participatory attentiveness that trains us in the discipline of reading scripture rightly, reading scripture humbly, we might add. And so different than reading the Bible for information or reading the Bible for formation, which we're going to do next week, meditation's main point is communion, to meet God in the text, believing it is a divine and human word that God is speaking through this. And so how do we do this practically? There's a first step. Um, well, the, the first evidence of a four-step process of this kind of prayerful reading comes from the writings of a 12th century monk named Guigo II. It's like a Star Wars character, y'all. <laughs> Guigo II. So what he does is he thinks about a prayerful reading and he breaks it up into four parts, which is now the baseline for most um, Lectio Divina practice. It's four, four parts. He writes, reading as it were, puts the solid food into our mouths. Meditation chews it and breaks it down. Do you notice how he's even pulling from the Haggah language of, of Psalm 1? Isn't that cool? Uh, prayer obtain, maybe it is to me. Okay, prayer obtains the flavor of it. And then contemplation is the very sweetness which makes us glad and refreshes it. So reading is like we're, we're eating the book, right? Meditation is we're chewing on the text and we're breaking it down into its little parts. Prayer is when we're obtaining like the flavor and how this works. And then contemplation is now the sweetness which then it's like when it gets down in here. That good, like that good full belly feeling that then you know, sends you out into your day. So notice you've got this little four part, reading, meditation, prayer, and contemplation, which would be the base you know, framework for this form of Lectio Divina. So let's get really practical. Oh, really quick here, what I love about um, 
this. I didn't put this in here, but uh, Bernard de Clairvaux, he continues and he thinks about this kind of reading of scripture. And what he loves about Lectio Divina is he says that it's um, engaging with the scripture that a way that anyone can do. He says that Lectio Divina is an ocean of reading that a lamb can paddle and the elephant swims. Not a great image. It's like it's the shallow end where the little lamb doesn't have to worry about drowning, but the big elephant, he, he's, you know, he's, going, he's doing backstrokes or whatever. Like it's the kind of reading that does, you don't have to be a Bible nerd to do. Anyone can open and read the Bible multiple times and pray, Spirit, what are you calling me to? And then take that out into their day. You can be the little lamb or the great big elephant. So really practical here, how to do it. First is preparation to set aside 15 to 30 minutes or so out of your day to choose and have a passage that you know you're going to utilize. For us at Collective Church, we would recommend this being the weekly Bible passage at least once a week, this kind of reading over the weekly Bible passage. Uh, In our home, Erin does the weekly Bible passage like every single morning because she's just a saint. And I do like once or twice a week maybe. Um, uh, uh, I'll read a reading from the gospel or uh, one of the Psalms. Because I've just found when I use the weekly Bible passage, I end up doing sermon prep in the morning. That's not helpful for me. And so, um, so find a passage. So if you're beginning the weekly Bible passage, just choose a psalm or maybe a little section from a gospel that you read through it. So once you've got your passage set, your time set, you then find a place that's away from your phone. So this requires a physical Bible. Um, I will get you one if you need one. And get yourself comfortable Find it, have it be a quiet place that you can actually give your full attention to something. Some people um, like to light a candle. It's just a reminder of God's presence with them there, like the light of the world that the spirit is here with me. Um, you calm your body and your mind, take a deep breath and just kind of settle yourself before the text. And then you pray some kind of opening prayer that's up, just opening yourself up to spirit speak. And so I regularly use 1 Samuel 3.10 um, with Samuel saying, speak for your servant is listening. Just a simple speak. And then sometimes depending on whatever I'm feeling in, in my view of, of God that day, I'll bring them to speak for your, your son. Your child is listening. Speak for, you know, whatever it may be. Your servant is listening. And then you move into reading it. And so first you read the text. You read it slowly and carefully. You know, you mutter it under your breath if you want to. You take time. You pay close attention to words. You, you know, use your attention in getting it focused in new ways, looking for how things connect. Use your mental tools for an attentive, focused reading. You're not scanning it for the next tweet that you want to retweet. You're wanting to see how the text is flowing and the movement is occurring. You note dense phrases or metaphors, puzzling details. You just focus on what's there. You're looking for the, the spirit to be speaking. After that, take a little moment just to think, pause, maybe look at it or close your eyes. Think about what you've just read. And then you read it again. You go back and you read it again, and maybe sometimes even a third time. Now you're looking for it to connect personally. You're asking, how does this lead to Jesus? How does Jesus fulfill what I'm reading? What sin is this exposing in my mind or my heart or my life? Which words or phrases resonate with me in this season, today, this moment of life? What do I need to know, be, or do in light of this? And then you move into prayer which is now you, almost as if it's a conversation, you've listened to God and now you speak back to him where you now utilize the key words or ideas that you've just read to shape the prayer that you're bringing back. You like literally using the language of the passage in the prayer that you're bringing to God. 
You talk to God about your experience. If you read it and you're moved, then you talk about that. If you're confused, you talk to him about that. If you're upset, you talk to him about that. If you're moved to worship, you worship. If it's something else, some other emotion, you sit and hold that emotion through from the text there with God, asking him for guidance to help live out or just to hold what it is that he's given to you. And then you move into living out the text or contemplation. And this is where now that you've done all this, hopefully hearing something, and if not, or even if you have, you just take a moment to pause and just, in, just to be with God, just to enjoy the moment of quiet that he's spoken, you've heard, you've spoken back, and now you're just enjoying the presence with God. And then you end with a simple prayer of gratitude. Thank you. And then you head about your day. But really big to contemplation for most writers on the practice of Lectio Divina is they'll focus on what contemplation means. So if you break up the word con, templa, shin, right? Con is with, you know, you used something like with, con. Templa, temple, a sacred space where God dwells and is with his people. And shin is like, you know, a suffix for the ongoing experience of something. So you think about like, um, what's a good example? Fixation. My attention is, it's, it's an ongoing fixing of my attention on something or temptation. It's not that I'm being tempted. I'm undergoing like a act of being tempted. And so contemplation is a with or in the holy space with God's presence, ongoing experience of that. What the reformers called living caram deo in Latin, living before the face of God. So the whole point is you don't just read and go, okay, cool. And then you go about your day. Contemplation is now I'm bringing what I've read with me into my day, seeing that all of my life is the sacred space, the temple place, that I'm in an act of being, of carrying out this text and experiencing it even further. And so to, to tease this a little bit more, this is what, for those of you that have been in our book club, like last year, I think, in Domestic Monastery, what Rollheiser calls the Domestic Monastery, is that we believe that our life that we're going out into is the context and place where the Spirit of God that we've met in the text is going to be found. Not up in this hidden place, or even in this hidden place, but now out there in my life. Uh, to kind of break this down a little bit more, Kathleen Norris writes, this is so good. I've come to believe that the true mystics, that is those... Theological word for people that have an ongoing experience of the presence of God. The true mystics are not those who contemplate holiness in isolation, reaching godlike illumination in serene silence, but those who manage to find God in a life filled with noise. Hmm, I love you. The demands of other people and relentless daily duties that can consume the self. They may be young parents or those trying to make a living. If they're wise, they treasure the rare moments of solitude and silence. And they use them not to escape or distract themselves with television and the like. Rather, they use those moments to reflect on the signs of God's presence in their day-to-day as they open their hearts in prayer. The true mystics, that she says, are not those who live up on the mountain, but those parents who, after the kids go to bed, utilize that now time of silence and solitude, not for Netflix, not for zoning out, but a prayerful remembering of all God's faithfulness and how we've been present with them. For the... the Single people, when I'm not at work anymore, but now I'm at home. Not as now I tune out, but this is my time to tune into the spirit. And I'm not anti like streaming stuff. Rings of Power and or they've all been great to me. Um, but I think this is an invitation, isn't it? To at least a different way of ordering out our weeks. 
And so what this means, contemplation, is now out of reflecting and meditating on the word, we carry whatever that word was that stuck out to us, that theme was, or that invitation, we bring that into our week. So a few really practical ways to do this, because that sounds very abstract. In our home, what this has regularly looked like is on our kitchen countertop, one of us will like leave our Bible open to whatever the passage was that we read that day. So that as you're coming throughout the day, you keep coming back to the text to like in those little brief moments when between temper tantrums and all this mess is you come back to remind yourself of what you've read. And I just the image that always has come to mind about this is it's as though the kitchen countertop has become a pulpit for a day of preaching sermons, not in words, but in diapers and Legos and and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And that this is the text that I'm preaching as I go in to do those sorts of things. For some of you, this may be that at work and everybody, you know, you work from home or wherever you do. If you're able to have the Bible, you just bring whatever you read, bring it with you and have that open before you as you're going throughout your day, returning to it. This might be you writing down that word or that theme that stuck out to you on a three, and a, like three by five card and just carrying it with you or a post-it note that you put on the front of your phone so that when you pull that out, you have at least a reminder or just something that prompts you to take a moment of prayerful meditation on that theme or that word once again. These are all different ideas, but the question is, how can you make your day and night a place of delightful meditation on the scriptures? How can you make your day and night a place where the spirit is meeting you in the scriptures? How can you attune your focus to the instruction of the Lord, believing that over a lifetime of doing so, you become formed into a tree of life person? And that's what we're moving for. And if you just think about that, I mean, just think about how, how simple some of these things are, but we just, we always kick them to the side. But think about, if I were to build that kind of focus around my life, what's the kind of person I would be in five to 10 years? What's the kind of person that I would be in 30? What's the kind of person I would be at the end of my life with that simple rhythm or practice on a weekly basis? Of course, I would be, as Psalm 1 says, a tree of life kind of person, flourishing, fruitful, and faithful. And so for your practice this week, it's to do Lectio Divina. Surprise, surprise. As you guys gather, you can go to collectivechurch.com slash current series for the details on this. The main goal for your time together this week is to pick a time and a place that you're going to do it. Pick a passage and set aside three to five times. For some of you, this is going to require you working with your spouse to who's going to deal with the kids at that time of the day. But for you to set aside 15, 20, whatever is a good starting point for you. Don't go too big. Like, I'm going to do Lectio Divina for four hours. Don't start with that. <laughs> And then and then practice this together. And then next week when you get together again, you're going to debrief on, on how it went. Okay? So here we go. Before we move into the response time, what I want to do is actually put this into practice. We're going to put the scuba suit on together. And so we're going to do a, a meditative Lectio Divina reading of Psalm 1 that we've, we've actually been in. So we're going to read it two more times with some space in between for prayerful reading. And so the goal is to remember, the first reading is just to, just to read it, to pay attention. The second reading is to take that person and look for a theme or a word. And then I'll have a time of silence for um, just prayer, for you to, in your, to pray the words of Scripture for yourself. And then I'm going to move into a contemplation, just thanking God. And then Ethan's going to come up and we're going to move into our time of response. Sound good? Okay, so first preparation. Get comfortable. Throw your phone across the room. <laughs> or at least on Do Not Disturb. If you would like to read it off of your, your physical Bible, you can. If you find that you'd be better able to listen by setting it aside. 
So you just get comfortable. Maybe just take a few deep breaths. We call them belly breaths in our home. And so in the words of 1 Samuel, speak for your servants are listening. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his or her delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. They are like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. How happy is the one who doesn't walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, their delight is in the Lord's instruction and they meditate on it day and night. They are like a tree planted beside flowing streams bear its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind will blow away. Therefore, the wicked won't stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. And so now, just to yourself, if there was a word or a theme or an idea, just to pray, pray to God about it. Ask him to help clarify what it might be and why he brought that to mind.
So Father, thank you for this opportunity tonight for us to continue to learn how to read your word. And tonight, God, more than just to read it, to experience you speaking to us within it. So my prayer is that we might enter into this way of being the sort of people who build out our days and nights as the people who happily haggah your word. So as we move into a time of response, we pray that you'd continue speaking to us. And for whatever we may be carrying, we pray that you would give us the strength to carry one another's burdens in the midst of it. For some of us that today has brought about just an an identifying of their own way and the focus and the formation that's happening within themselves. God, you have promised that with repentance, with us, a simple word, to turn around. In our turning around, you meet us and will guide us on the long the way towards life. And so whatever it may be that you're causing for us to turn from, God, we do so knowing that you are there not to chastise, but like the, pro- the father of the prodigal son, to run and meet us and to walk us the rest of the way home. So, Spirit, we pray that you would meet us in this time of response. Amen.